Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Mattingly. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast where today we're going to talk about the Ankeg. It's a giant bug thing, but let's not get ahead of ourselves, Travis. I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Good, because we're not doing that. In fact, we're getting behind ourselves. We're talking about <laughs> the Abolith again. Oh god, I'm sneaking up on me. <laughs> Yes, yes. So we are going to talk about the Ankeg, which is a creature in the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition monster manual. Uh, Continuing our discussion on the 5th edition monster manual thingy. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Ah, yes, the most official title. Yes, the Dungeon Master Manual Monster Device uh, Monster. Say monster one more time. Monster. Monster, okay. Monster, monster. (laughs) The Monster Monster Manual Manual. Yes. The Monster Monster Manual Manual. It's its nickname. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth edition. Yes. Jesus Christ, how do we start these episodes? Because I don't, I can't, I, I know we have like a little bit of ease you into it time, but I, for the life of me, cannot think about what we usually talk about. If there's ever a uniform way we do it, it is lost on me. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's just what we're doing right now. So I hope you enjoy content. <laughs> Listener, <laughs> you tune in for all of this content. Yeah, we've got jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like five minutes of us giggling at each other, and then we get into the actual notes. Yeah, pretty much. And I, so we'll find that I think the Ankeg might be the. I I want to call it maybe the most unproblematic monster we've covered so far like Eric Cochran's have a nice little trick there's not a whole lot to them so whatever is yeah. added to them is you know for the most part good it's you know like adding sugar to water you just get sugar but mm-hmm. for the Ankeg I think there's enough complexity going on with the creature that it becomes for the most part a it's not like an unqualified success but I think it's more successful than any of the monsters we covered so far yeah it's I don't know, it's got like a little bit of complexity, but it's also simple in its complexity. Yeah, (laughs) it's elegant. I I think that, and I have quibbles. I always have quibbles. Uh, It's a rare medical disease. I think I've only got 10 minutes to live, so we got to hurry up through this episode. You've got Uh, trouble with quibbles. Yeah, but I think that there are, the problems with Onkegs are not as bad as the problems with, for example, Abolis, which I don't think would be very fun to fight unless there was a lot of tinkering going on. Yeah, and I mean, Ankegs have a very specific gimmick, really, if we're... Yeah, 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 and yeah, yes. But we'll get into that in right now, so buckle up your butts and get your... Get those butts real pretty. Slap some <laughs> slap some makeup on your butt. Do some eyeliner on the butt, the, the hair part of the butt. Please, for the love of God, put a sting in so I don't keep going. Quit talking about butts. So, the Ankeg, visually, in terms of artistic design, it resembles kind of a massive praying mantis slash crab thing, which is a pretty horrifying combination of things. That works for me, yeah? Yeah. Uh, it, I believe, yeah, it, it definitely vies with the Ablith for the most monstrous thing we've covered so far. Yeah, it's the, the, uh, age-old fear of a carapace. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of spines and chitin going on with this kind of thing. 
uh very if yeah it's very it's very upsetting mandibles and such oh yeah so there it's got these huge kind of scissor like mandibles if you can imagine the pokemon scissor if it if you took its arms and then attached it to the mouth of this creature that would be kind of what it looks like. It's got a bunch of uh, beady little eyes. It's got a red coloring to the shell. I don't know. So let me, we we do a lot of jokes, you know, we do, like the, yeah. the butt joke we did. We make a lot of jokes on Tooth and Nail. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about something serious. I'm pretty colorblind, so yeah. I, uh, I can't tell if it's red or like an orangish kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little mix of both, I think. I think you're pretty right on. I would say orange is probably the primary color I see. It's like brownish orange. Well, listen, there's there's a red orange. Uh, there's a crayon of that, so it's already a color. Yeah, it, yes. Most of the creature is a brownish orange. There are bits of it that are kind of fleshy and gross, <laughs> like a pinkish red. Oh, brown orange would not work as a Crayola, I don't think. No, I don't think so. It'd be very displeasing. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the Fallout 4 Mirelurk Queen in terms of like its silhouette. It's got the like uh it's got the like legs leading up to a central stem torso and then the praying mantis arms that come out leading into like the head bit. Could it be that the Mirelurk Queen was inspired by the Oncake? I you know, I if I had to make a guess, I would say that there's probably a uh like a missing link between the two of them. Like there's a progenitor creature that right. does like I can imagine maybe like an old '50s movie having uh, having a monster like that um, that that both the Myrler Queen and the Onkeg kind of evolved from. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, <laughs> an old rubber-suited like. Yeah, like uh, the attack of the lobster thing from Planet Whatever. <laughs> lobster Mantis from Omega Nine. Yeah, yeah, a very like Ed Wood kind of dealy. Importantly, the creature has very long antennae drooping from its mouth, which I, I think are like a, it's either like a feeding tentacle thing or perhaps uh, like a whisker, like a sort of uh, like a radar kind of thing because this oh. creature spends most of its time underground, which we'll get into in a minute. I imagine it's kind of like a dowsing rod for flesh of various sorts. Yeah, it's a flesh I was rod. about to say, definitely, I think it is for sure like a dowsing whisker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, the book describes the Onkag as an enormous, many-legged insect with long antennae that twitches in response to nearby environment. Yep, it was a dowsing whisker. Solve that mystery. Hey, boom. Its legs... Next. Yes. Its <laughs> legs end in sharp hooks adapted for burrowing and grasping its prey, and it has powerful mandibles that can snap a small tree in half, the book says. <laughs> Caesar, calm down. It's not a big deal. <laughs> Oh my god, he's scared. Ah, I got an itch in my ear, but I also have an earbud in my ear, so it's there's a lot of crowding. We gotta, yeah, we gotta exit worse. some people from my ear. It's it's got it's reached. You capacity. said that, and now my ear is itching. How could you do this? To All me? right, let's take a small five minute break to scratch our ears. <laughs> we'll be back in five minutes. Five minutes. Ah, and we're back. The Onkeg <laughs> uses its massive mandibles to dig tunnels in the ground like an ant. I think. Or do ants do that? Yeah, ants, they do like the passing grains of dirt kind of thing. It's, yeah. It's, so it's like an ant or like, I think wolf spiders do it or like like some crabs or rockfish. Oh fish. boy, thinking that, about this big old onkeg thing doing the wolf spider thing where its arms are just like lightning fast digging. 
I think that's what it's supposed to be. Well, I guess it has the mandibles, but I think it's supposed to... I, if I were to describe this monster, I would do it in that kind of gross, ultra-fast, stuttery way that spiders move, I think. But honestly, looking at this thing, it looks like every part of its body was made for digging, so... Yeah, yeah, so, you know, it's dealer's choice for how this thing gets from A to B. But I think this monster kind of uh, lives and dies by how gross you find insects to be, mm-hmm. you know? So Very. Yes, yeah, me too. So... The Onkeg, it burrows up, so it's digging in the ground, it detects movement, it burrows up until it's just under the ground, and then it waits there with its mouth open until it detects movement immediately above its mouth. It shoots out of the ground ultra-fast like a spider, it crushes the prey with with the mandibles, and then the acidic digestive fluids that the Onkeg has, it leaks out of its mouth, and it dissolves the prey alive as it's being chewed. Which sounds like a real-ass thing that an insect would do, and that is horrifying to this boy. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) We make a lot of jokes here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. That is my nightmare. Yeah, I think, yeah, again, I think the Onkeg is supposed to, you know, Guillermo del Toro, I read an interview once where Guillermo del Toro, who I will cite often as being the best monster person of our era, uh, he says that the best monsters find their roots in mundane biology. So I I think the Onkeg is a great expression of that idea because the Onkeg utilizes a lot of tactics that are also utilized by the most horrifying insects on our actual planet. Uh, so this, this tactic of it bursting out of the ground, I think that is more or less the monster manual telling you flat out this is how every single encounter with an Onkeg should begin. I think the idea is, for your Onkeg quest, you have kind of a hunter turning into the hunted kind of thing. I think that would be the best way to utilize this creature, where, you know, you have it on the job board, your your characters, they go and they try to hunt down this thing that's been brutalizing the farmers in the area, and then all of a sudden the thing bursts out and you get, like, a little split second of, like, you know, the, the alien drooping some of its spit on your face because it's hanging mm-hmm. out above you. I think you get, like, a little bit of, like, the ground feels soft here. Oh, God! Attack roll! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's what the, this monster is supposed to be geared toward in terms of an, a straight encounter. The monster manual gives you a, uh, uh, an adventure hook to these things as well. These are supposed to be real annoyances to farmers and rangers in the area. Onkeg's... They take in nutrients from the soil, though they need meat to fully sustain it. These things are carnivores. Thus, they hunt in grounds that are regularly bountiful with livestock and fauna, which typically results in them eating out the entirety of a farmer's cattle. Right, yeah. Does it say, like, what, how much they need to eat? Because I would imagine just, like, it's I'm... grabbing, like, a cow a day. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think that's fair. I was going to say, like, a sheep a night. <laughs> there are two kinds of people. There are cow-a-day cow people. A day, sheep and then sheep a night people. Both keep the doctor away. Yeah. I I think that's the idea is, you know, there's a farmer, oh god, the thing's eating all my sheep. <laughs> and uh some big damn scythe beast is taking all my sheep. Yeah, and then Rungor the fighter is called in to fight the Onkeg. <laughs> Rungor and his fancy little bard party. Alright, writing down Rungorn for yeah. my Next There's Rungor and then four other bards. 
That's our that's our that's now our control party for monsters. <laughs> Can Rungor and four bards defeat it? Yeah, they're all just various versions of Prince. <laughs> I'm okay with that, I guess. Yeah, it's Rungor and the Four Princes. So the Onkag leaves behind plenty of tunnels when it eats the livestock of these farmers. Uh, and these mines, these like little impromptu mines that it left leaves behind are pretty gruesome. It leaves behind lots of pretty much like DM notes. Like it, it, there's a little passage that I imagine are supposed to be how to describe these things in order for them to be effective. And so what's left behind in no particular order are like shredded chitin and hatched eggs and of course the remains of past victims including the book is quick to point out loot that is left behind by these victims so this (laughs) i love the idea that you're like we're going into the tunnels to rescue the men that were stolen by the onkeg and you find like a pair of legs inside (laughs) of a pair of pants and you're like oh god what's in the pockets So, yeah, so there's lots of little details for the DM to employ because I think the idea is that the creature, the Anka, can very easily make an earthy escape, thus leading to a hunt that could probably extend into entire underground passages and caverns. Is a fight inside of, like, a Ankeg-sized tunnel fun? No, I don't think so. I think it's supposed to be there for tension. I think it's supposed to just make you feel claustrophobic because I believe the tunnels are expressly stated as being like kind of dog-sized more or less, like it's a crawling game more than anything else. Oh, okay, okay. So I don't think you're supposed to like, I think you're supposed to track it down and it leads to this moment where to bring back Alien again because I can't fucking leave Alien alone. It leads to like (laughs) a vent crawling kind of scenario where there's a monster in the vent that you're in currently, and it's supposed to make you feel stressed out. Yeah, occasionally you'll feel the ground rumble beneath your hands as you you feel it digging. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. So mechanically, uh, kegs they are large. Yes, they are category-sized large, capital L, large. Yes, which is a little bit vague in what it means in 5th edition, but... It pretty figure much... it is almost twice the size of a human. Yeah, it pretty much just means... The way. Four squares instead of one. Yeah, Uh, and it is an unaligned monstrosity. Yes, and this is the first time that we've run into A, an unaligned creature, and B, a monstrosity. What the fuck does unaligned mean, really? Shouldn't it just be, like, true neutral? Shouldn't that be... This is, I think, once again, just another thing left over from past editions where alignment meant something. Yes. Because if it was chaotic neutral, it it could be aligned with a chaotic neutral god. But to this beast, there's right. no such thing as any of those things. Okay, okay. My I had a, a theory that alignment is attached to intelligence. So these yeah, things have I, an intelligence of one, but so they're not like self-aware enough to be considered aligned. I think that's also a thing that uh, this monster manual, this edition does, because... Most wild animals that you could run across, such as wolves, bears, all those, they're all unaligned, too, I think. Lions, tigers, panthers, <laughs> owls. More animals, animals, animals. <laughs> Fish, animals. Fish. Yeah, I think, you're, I think we're both right. I, I think they don't align with themselves with such god because they're not intelligent enough to. Yeah, yeah, it might be a little <laughs> column A, little column B thing. So, yeah, so that is unaligned. Uh, in terms of monstrosities as a category- categorization, they're basically just, uh, they're kind of like traditional monsters. Uh, they also 
monstrosity kind of serves as your catch-all term. So this is where you get basilisks and cockatrices and whatnot, but this is also where you get, like, mimics and the weird shit that don't really fit neatly into other monsters. Yeah, it's the category for non-specific. Yes. Because, yeah. like, you, in traditional, like, thinking about it, you'd be like, monsters, oh, like, dragons, and they're like, no, 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 no. No, like, uh, this kind of monster. Yeah, like, like something you probably wouldn't see in real life at any point in history. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think the idea is that there's a strain of mythology to what a monstrosity is, so, like, this yeah. is where you'll find a griffin, right? This is kind of, monstrosity, in addition to being the catch-all term, is also the, like, the monsters you've heard of in English class, this is where they sit. Right, okay, yeah, that that's way better. <laughs> so the Onkeg, it has a slightly higher armor class uh, for its CR. It has an armor class of 14 and a CR of 2. It has 39 HP, which is supposedly low on the chart, but in actual practice, it's just a little bit below average for its CR due to a fairly modest constitution score that it has. Interestingly... Uh, the Onkeg has a neat little built-in thing where its AC is reduced when it's the creature is prone. So, like, in a, in the fiction, the narrative of the story, this would be, like, when the Onkeg is tipped over, it has, like, a little soft underbelly that you can tickle with a sword. Oh, man. I hadn't even noticed that. That is a mechanic that I've wanted to figure out how to do in D&D for a while. I it's... didn't know there was just straight up in a, in a stat block. Yeah, I never noticed it before. It's horribly underutilized. I've never... I, I think this is the only creature I've noticed it existing in. Yeah. Uh, I wish that... Like, I think that's really cool. I think that it's a good thing to have. Um, I'd like to see more monsters that utilize it. I also Absolutely. would like to have this be more expressed within the mechanics of the Onkeg. So, like, I would like a sort of bloodborne kind of thing where, depending on how much damage you do, the Onkeg has a chance to go prone. Oh, yeah. You know, because there, because this mechanic of the armor class being reduced when the creature is prone is so underutilized in other monsters, I would like something that signals this change in armor class better to the party right yeah and like uh, so uh, talking like challenge rating two assuming a party of level twos there yes. isn't a whole lot of things anybody at level two if anything uh can do to make something fall prone that's also true yeah like that's a another thing i would like to see this used in higher level monsters where you are more likely to make something go prone yeah because at this point it's kind of like up to the dm to make it happen Yes, yeah. Uh, or, like, if the players are like, oh, we trip it with, like, fucking... We wrap ropes around its leg and ATAT -AT it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that should make sense, but because other monsters don't use it, I I can imagine a, a person think... Or I can imagine a player thinking, oh, this should work, but it probably isn't expressed in the monster block, so there's no way to do it. Yeah, this won't, this won't work, and it won't help, because it never does, so yes. I won't bother. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So the Onkeg, it has a speed of 30 and a burrow speed of 10. And this, Travis, is our first burrower. So basically, yeah. uh, having a burrow speed allows the creature to dig through soft ground. Mechanically, this gets to be kind of troublesome for a fight. It's kind of a weird blend of invisibility and teleport. So if you can imagine how in Pokemon the move dig works, it's very similar to that. So with a burrow speed of 10... I foresee a lot of kind of whack-a-mole where 
the party is waiting for the monster to pop out wherever it wants. And I, uh, I think I have a little problem with how this plays out mechanically, where I personally, I don't see a lot of fun of monster. It's, it's a fine line, the monster that can turn invisible or just, you know, escape for brief periods of time. Because to me, it leads to a lot of, well, now what do I do? Yeah. You know, I think it takes a very special kind of encounter for this to be tense and not boring. Is there mechanically in the books, you might not even know the answer to this question, uh, anything that says that burrow speeds do not leave behind a tunnel? No, but I think that's the answer to that, right? Like me as DM, if I were to try to fix this, I would throw in either a like uh like a little burrow mound like some kind of visual clue to where the creature is moving mm-hmm. or and i was kind of saving this for the end but in in terms of workshopping an encounter for this like uh if you make it so that the the soft ground is very clear and the rock ground is very clear you can kind of narrow down where the monster is going to pop out and it becomes more of a uh you you give the players more control over where to defend against from where the monster is going to pop out from. So it becomes yeah. less like whack-a-mole and more like setting a trap for a creature. Yeah, that would work. I was also thinking is when you said that you, you see like a burrow mound of where the thing is digging, uh, when it's burrowing, maybe like only piercing weapons can hit it. Yeah, that or something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Another thing about its burrow speed that I think is interesting, it's very big. Yes. And theoretically incredibly good at burrowing. Yes. It has a, a burrow speed of 10 feet. Yes. Which is the exact same speed as just a regular mole. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think what it comes down to is a CR thing. Like, they didn't want to make something that could burrow rings around the party. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so, It's yeah. only a bunch of level two boys. Like, I think this is a monster that is supposed to introduce burrow speed. So they didn't want to give you something crazy. They wanted to give you, like, a... Oh, it just kind of pops in and out, but it, it teaches yeah. you this mechanic. I guess, to be fair, the purple worm, which is gargantuan, only has a burrow speed of 30 feet, so... Yeah, burrowing is kind of overpowered as a as a thing that a creature can just do. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I don't really consider... I hadn't considered, like, the uh, not leaving a tunnel behind or uh, being able to just burrow and then be invisible. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, like, when a monster turns invisible, it kind of turns into a snooze fest, unless you happen to have fairy fire. Yeah. So, the ability scores of the Onkeg are pretty much what you would expect. It has high strength, it has one intelligence, which again, I think, you know, that was my theory for whether or not something is aligned. The It has dark vision out to 60 feet, which is important for underground travel. It also has tremor sense out to 60 feet, which is usually tied with burrow speed. This is the ability to sense and track vibrations in the ground. Fortunately, it has a fairly low passive perception of 11, which allows something to sneak by it without too much trouble. Yeah, that's pretty low. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think the idea is... <laughs> Like, like the rogues and the people with even a mod modest dexterity are sneaking through and they make it past successfully. But Rognar, what the hell was his name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the big old armored fighter takes like two, a step too clunky and just gets nailed by an onkeg. Yeah, I think that might be what it is. I think that might be a little extra gotcha of like the rogues <laughs> are scouting ahead. Oh, I don't see anything. It's fine. 
and then as soon as the paladin walks up, it the it springs the monster trap. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what that's supposed to be. I think it is another vestige of it being a CR2 monster. I think they were kind of kind of gambling on, or at least I I think they wanted to give something that wasn't. I I don't know it by because by rights it should have a higher passive perception if it's mm-hmm. gonna spend all its time hanging out underground. It can see in the dark, and it can sense vibrations. You would think the passive perception would be pretty high. Yeah. I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, it's it's probably just they're lowballing it. It yeah. really is. It's a CR lowball, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best thing I can come up with right now. We'll, we'll see if I can think of something better later on. Anyway, the Onkeg has two actions, Bite and Acid Spray. And Bite does a little bit under the damage range for a creature of its CR, even with the extra acid damage that it gets from its acid discharge mouth monster thing, which is, to my mind, uh, a really nice example of having a monster need to hit a certain level of damage and then using its lore to supplement that damage in kind of a meaningful way. It's a nice junction of story and mechanic. It's interesting. I think the, the, to me, I think that the lower damage on the bite is sort of... indicative to me that you should have a few of these right you should have a few of these things there just like at least two no no no. i think what happens is is so the damage underperforms but that's fine because this is an auto grapple attack which some monsters get like vampires and whatnot get sometimes so the idea is that it attacks you there's a 13 it grapples you instantly there's a 13 dc to escape the grapple but while you remain grappled the onkeg can bite that creature and only that creature with advantage so like so in the narrative you know the the onkeg has the creature in its jaws and is chewing away on it so i think that's what balances out this attack and why the underperforming damage is fine because it gets the grapple instantly oh okay yeah uh the the reason that i always think it's weird is that uh being grappled is such not a hindrance in yeah. fifth edition yeah uh like an auto grapple is like, oh no, you grappled the fighter so that he can stay next to you and still attack you with no hindrance to his attacks because being grappled doesn't do anything to the person who is grappled. Yes, that is <laughs> that. There's that. Uh, I think this is just a means of getting extra hits in, not like extra yeah. hits, but ensuring that the hits you have are landing. Um, right. I think. Paired with the tunnel speed, this could be really dangerous to the wizard in the back lines. So the Onkeg <laughs> yeah. can just dig underneath wherever your fighters are and go for a squishy little sorcerer boy. Can it burrow with someone grappled? I hope so. I think, you know, <laughs> uh, I put this on because uh, this is a tactic that we come back to sometimes is something that uh, we attribute to ghouls who can paralyze. Yeah. Uh, I think this is another ghoul tactic or at least I would rule that it is, where the Onkeg bites something, grapples it, and then can just drag it into the earth. The only reason I think about, I thought about it is because you just said that, wizard in the back lines, it just pops out of the ground, grabs the wizard, goes back into the ground. I, I think as a DM person, I would make another, like I would rule another athletics check for the thing being dragged in, mm-hmm. just so it's not a save or die kind of thing. But I, I think that adds a little bit more complexity and a little bit more intrigue to the, the the burrow speed, right? So instead of it just being, oh, let's wait for this Onkag to burst out of the ground, it becomes, oh shit, they got Scorgo the wizard. We gotta make <laughs> sure Scorgo's okay. 
Everyone watch out for Scorgo. Yeah, Scorgo. He's the no. most vulnerable when it comes to burrow speeds. Let me tell you something about Scorgo. <laughs> he's small now, but he's got big plans. He's gonna yeah. become he's gonna be big. He you're gonna see his name on marquees and theaters in New York, in the like Broadway part of New York. It's gonna be Scorgo. Just give him a chance. Yeah. He'll fireball his way into your heart. Yeah. So the Onkag takes this other move called Acid Spray, uh, which has a recharge. The first time we've seen a recharge system, and basically what happens is it uses this turn and it can't use it again until it rolls a six on a d6, which it takes at the beginning of each of its next turns. This as a system, I find I often, when I'm DMing, I often forget to roll that little d6. I That might just be me sucking it up, but I, I don't know. It's something that I feel I often forget. I I think I always do. I, I forget it right at the beginning. I usually remember it before I actually take an action. Well, I see this as being... I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a new mechanic for 5th edition. I see this as being kind of a a modern recoloring of cooldowns. The kind of 4th edition, you know, how they had at will and then once per encounter. And, you know, all yeah. of your moves were based on cooldowns, more or less. This kind of uh, MMO-esque cooldown thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure recharge abilities are probably from 4th edition. I don't know if they're, if it's a direct lift or if this is kind of the spirit of that sort of thing. Mm. It, it does lead to that little bit of, oh no, the DM rolled the thing and he didn't tell me what it does that I like, even if that yeah. effect wears off after a little while. I'm bad about that because whenever <laughs> I think it's due to... <sighs> I basically learned how to start DMing from Critical Role... And Matt always says, like, oh, that power recharged whenever it does. So yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I have, there's no mystery with me. It's just like I roll the D6 and it's like, well, Acid Spray is back. And that's also, I think, viable because, you know, you're giving your players more information to make tactical decisions. Yeah. It, I guess it would be good to, like, try to, if if you do do it that way, try to, like, put it in game narrative. Just, like, you see acid begin to bubble out of its mouth again yeah, as it's yeah. ready to spray. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing that all DMs should do, I think. I, I, you know, if, yeah, yeah. Typically, I think it is good and worthwhile to couch mechanical things like that in the narrative of D&D, and I think that's how it is supposed to be played prescriptively, you know? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't typically, so the reason why I'm hesitant is because I don't typically like to make prescriptive judgments as to how somebody should dm but i think that is on the whole a win for all your players yeah your players will feel cool well that that it's it leads back to this weird way that DD is constructed where it has the combat part of DD and then the everything else part of DD and couching your combat in as much narrative as possible i think helps blur the line a little bit not by yeah. much, but, you know, every little bit helps, I think, in this scenario. We should talk about what this action actually does. <laughs> no, we'll just say, we'll tell how acid spray works. You recharge it. All right, bye. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes this action. The Ankeg spits acid out in a line 30 feet long and 5 feet wide, assuming there aren't any creatures grappled in its mouth, so it can't, like, it can't do the uber shot that I imagine some Dark Souls Bullshit. boss has done. Where, Bullshit. Where it, you just like grab it and spray it. This is my. I'm down. I'm not down with this. Yeah. I'll well, fuck it. Do it anyway. I'm just. I, I mean, I, I'm just not down with. It can't spit acid if it's got a creature grappling itself, motherfucker. 
tell me what it can and cannot do? Are you kidding? <laughs> Who are you, Point- Monster Manual, to tell me how to run your game? Bullshit. I will not abide. If, <laughs> if I, my Ankeg has a person in its mouth, that person is getting a point-blank blast of acid. Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah, I think that would be the fun way to do it, Dragon Ball Z style, where it just lifts <laughs> it up in the air and then... <laughs> just launches it 30 feet on a stream of acid. <laughs> So it, it, this move leads to kind of an interesting tactical exchange that the Ankek has where it so it can pop up wherever it wants more or less within 10 feet and then do a ranged attack if it's in dire straits or zoom in and bite down on somebody if it's feeling cocky. Every creature that is within this line of acid spray makes a dex save taking kind of average damage on a failed save and then half as much on a successful one. I think the the most optimal way to do this is the Ankeg bites at a character, burrows out of range for a couple turns, with or without the character, uh, pops out however many feet away, and then as all of the players see it pop far away, are trying to s- chase it down, it peppers them with some acid spray as they're like bunched together, running in one direction, right? Yeah. I can see that being a fairly fun encounter, you know, especially if you throw in that little wrinkle of having a character be stuck underground or come with the Ankeg underground. It gives the the rest of the party something to do while the Ankeg is burrowing. It gives the party a chance to maybe burrow as well to assist the character, you know, try to dig the, the stuck character out of the ground while the Ankeg mm-hmm. is going from place to place. I think that would fill in the waiting time fairly reasonably. I would also, again, I, I'd like to find some way of allowing the players some some way to trap the Onkeg. Like, if you can, in some way, uh, signal where the Onkeg is going to end up, give the players a couple of turns to set up an ambush for the Onkeg once it pops out. Why do you think... Well, I guess I should get your opinion. <laughs> what, do you think that the 10 damage that Acid Spray does is enough for a 1 in 6 chance on a recharge assuming you'll probably only get to use it once. Yeah, so I think that this might be a, a decent scare tactic because I think, to my mind, what happens is, and this this is assuming a lot of things, uh, I think this is a good way to introduce the half damage on a failed save kind of thing, or half damage mm-hmm. on a successful save thing. So I can imagine this being kind of uh, an oh shit moment where your rogue who has been successfully making all of his deck saves up to this point, you know, rolls their natural 20 on the deck save, is like, all right, I did it, and then still gets five damage anyway. Right. I think that that could end up being a nice oh shit moment. And so it gives Acid Spray as an attack a little bit of weight. So it becomes a kind of micro narrative within the fight where the players get Acid Sprayed, are kind of impressed by it, and then are watchful for that acid spray recharging, which you, as the DM, should be narrating, I think. That makes sense. I was going to just, you know, <laughs> Travis it up and be like, if you're going to just do it once for fight, just fucking like 10 damage, how about 20? <laughs> Travis, <laughs> that, that would kill a wizard. Well, I mean, like, yeah, he's had a long, good life. Right? <laughs> I think, no, I think the damage is fine. I think at this point in the game, unless you're playing with characters that are playing with players that are fine with crazy ass shit happening, I think yeah. as written, the Onkeg is pretty good. Yeah, no, you're right. I Especially because, think... like, if I'm just going to Travis it anyways, I'll just have two of them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think on the whole, the Onkeg is a pretty good monster. 
if you're throwing in the little extra wrinkle of messing around with burrowing being interesting, you know? Yeah. I think um I think a cool setting to fight these Onkagan would be in like a jungle forest. Yeah, I think that would be neat because there would be a lot of trees to kind of help yeah. narrow down where the Onkeg is going to sprout out of. Yeah, there, and, like, there'd be... <laughs> you could do, like, a very good introduction to the thing appearing. Like, they're camped out in the middle of a clearing, and suddenly trees start falling over. Yeah. It's because the Onkeg has come and just, in one chomp, felled trees. Yeah. <laughs> that might be neat as well to help make the, the, the lead-up to the fight tense and interesting. Because, like, I think I'm... As a DM and a player, sick of tunnel fights. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that you're supposed to be in a tunnel fighting this thing. I think the it's, idea it's, is. It's just aesthetically a very underdark monster. Is it is thing. a very underdark monster. And I think this might be your gateway drug into the underdark, right? The Onkeg just <laughs> yeah. happens to tunnel into the underdark and you're giving your players, like, oh shit, we got to chase down the Onkeg. Oh, wait, what's this crazy ass dark elf city? <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I, I think this is supposed to be the your kind of bridge the gap monster between an underground adventure and an up you know, above ground adventure. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Start in the jungle, end in the underdark. Yeah. Or just like, you know, my 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 farm has a lot of shit <laughs> in it now. There's a whole lot of sheep death. I done saw some kind of elf. What was a dark elf? Popped out of a tunnel, riding on the back of a scythe bug. Yeah, or something like that. Normally, I would have a lot to say about, like, what I would do with this monster to change it around, what I would do different, how what I would change to make it something I like. But it's it's so simple in what it does, and so, like, it gives you such a straightforward skill set to work with that there's nothing I would really change outside of, like I said, I would let them do the acid spray with someone in their mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's a good monster. It's good, well-constructed. There isn't a whole lot of excess stuff, and the mechanics that it has are good. I would... I, I like it for the most part. I'd like a little bit more signaling for the AC thing, and a right. little bit more signaling for the tunneling, and other than that, it's good for me. Yeah, it's... uh, This is our... Our first solid monster that we agree on. Yeah, good job, Onkeg. Pat, Pat, you get the gold star. Yay. So that is going to do it for this episode of Tooth and Nail a Monsters podcast. Uh, if you like what you listen to, I would heartily recommend you go to nerdsmith.com and you look at more of our episodes and then also look at some other episodes that are going on. I watched a, uh, a little bit of a show called Crosswords that kind of helps train you to be a, a better bard within your D&D. It's, like, it's kind of amazing. It's this show that is entirely about... Uh, helping you improvise songs better when you're playing a bard in D&D. Oh man, I need to get on that show then. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty it's a fun time. Uh yeah, I need to listen to that ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you're snuggled up nice and toasty wherever you are. Uh I hope that you have a nice little cup of hot chocolate cuz that's the real 
creature comfort for this episode. You gotta, you, so you're gonna want to stay away from soft earth, but you're also gonna yeah. want to have a nice hot cocoa. Maybe get you a marshmallow, just one. You don't need more than one. You're gonna sour up the cocoa flavor with marshmallow. That's made of bones, you monster. It's made of <laughs> animal bones, gelatin. <laughs> Look it up. Is there anything you would like to add, Travis? <laughs> I was going to say, just remember, soft blankets and hot cocoa, not soft earth and hot acid. Yeah. Have a good day. Have a good day.